Hey, hey, hello, and welcome back to Gain It For Riffs. Yet another episode coming up. How are you doing, Ole? Doing great. I heard you picked out the acoustic again. Yes, I picked out the acoustic, and I also retuned it. Uh, can you guess the tuning? Uh, it sounds like some type of open tuning. Mm. You're right about that. More, more. And uh, oh, I don't know what's a typical open tuning, like uh, an open D or something like that, maybe. Okay, so uh, the lowest uh, E string is uh, a D, so it went down. And I also brought the A string down to G. Uh, D string, fourth string remains the same. Also, the G string is there as it should be, and the uh, B string as well as it should. And the e, uh, high E string is now a D. So that's a cool. one variant of the open D. Yeah, I think I've used that at some point. I'm a fan of uh, open tunings. We touched lightly on it in um, when we discussed uh, drop D with uh, Melvins, and oh, yeah. I like uh, one of my favorites, D A D A D E. Mm. That's a quite a nice one to play with. <laughs> some kind of open D sus four, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, so without further ado, I thought I'd just uh, bring us right into uh, this week's riff that I brought. Good idea. Good idea. Let's do that. Yeah. Did you recognize it? I recognized it, but I'm not really ready to guess. Uh, mm. It was a nice, uh, slightly psychedelic vibe to it. So it reminded me, in a sense, of uh, Captain Beyond, the first Captain Beyond album, oh, yeah, yeah. Know, around the, the later part of that album. But I don't think it is. It might be the, the effect that you uh, get from this song when you, uh, when you play it on a guitar rather than on a uh, piano, which the original was. Uh, okay. The pianist in question, he also extensively played the Hammond organ for a southern rock band that we touched lightly uh, on in last week's episode about Leonard Skinner. Can you guess now? Ooh. I mean, first off, I'm, I'm uh, psyched that you brought out a piano riff new instrument it's the first uh, new instrument riff and uh, secondly i can't guess you know i don't even know the name of uh, uh, most of those southern rock guys okay but like we, we talk we talk about you're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to help me out here if we talk about leonard skinner what's the next band that you think about allman brothers yes so i thought maybe maybe that guy yeah but i don't yeah. know his name greg greg allman uh, okay there we go that's yeah. the one of the allman yeah how many brothers? Are they all brothers in that band? <laughs> no. Like, uh, it was uh, Greg and Duane Allman that started the Allman Brothers. Um, I see. And they uh, were session musicians. So they were on quite some recordings even before they started out themselves. Uh, Duane Allman famously um, uh, plays with uh, Eric Clapton on Layla, uh, which uh, I'm sure we're going to uh, get to 
uh, one of these episodes. And he died tragically um, before the third album, even for the Allman Brothers. So he died in a motorcycle accident. Uh, exactly the same fate uh, awaited the bass player of the band. It's very tragic. And uh, but uh, Greg Allman, uh, he soldiered on. He uh, he got more. Uh, the music it, it got a bit different. It it the first two albums I would say are very uh, kind of gritty, kind of swampy feeling, and then it gets lighter, even uh, more a more b- brighter song uh, on the third and fourth album, and and so on. Uh, much about, much uh, has to do with uh, guitarist Dicky Betts, who didn't use slide guitar uh, like Dwayne, but more of a Picking and uh, uh, single note uh, uh, soloing, so it brings another feeling to it. And this song, though, uh, on the fourth album, uh, it's called "Come and Go Blues," and um, it it really like it, it. It for me, it's one of the best songs on that album. The album also has Jessica and uh, uh, Blue Sky. Um, so it does have a fair share of uh, classics, but Come and Go Blues is really still, it has more of this uh, early Allman Brothers feeling, at least to me. And um, yeah, you, of course, it, it's played on the piano, uh, but uh, Greg also did a few versions when he plays it uh, alone, solo with the guitar, and then it's in the uh, open D or... Uh, yeah, maybe open G. Is, is, could it be open oh. G that I'm playing? I'm a bit uh, com- confused now. It doesn't matter. Um, I think it could be open G, actually. I'm not <laughs> uh, sure. Okay, but uh, long story short, uh, I I use uh, I, I went from a uh, a live uh, guitar recording of this song. Cool. And I, I really love the riff. I really love the riff. And uh, the bluesiness also could go in hand in hand with the, my guess, uh, Captain Beyond, because they also have quite a bit of blues in their sound, I think. For sure. With a slightly psychedelic, kind of beautiful melodic, and it also speaks to the the, <clears throat> the plus sides of using a, an open tuning that you could adapt a piano riff onto a guitar. It mm. would be harder to do in standard because you have less, less range and maybe the fretting would be difficult. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it's fun because I've been uh, wrapping my head around this riff for quite some time. But uh, as I mentioned in last week's as, uh, episode, I'm after practicing more and more, I'm getting, I'm getting better. I'm getting getting faster. So finally, I could play this riff uh, on the first attempt when I looked at it today. So I, I haven't played it longer than today, and I'm really happy about it. Um, so I'm going to play it once more. I'm going to sure. tell you a little bit of what uh, what's happening because there's a lot of things happening in this riff. Play the the first one. Sure. Love the harmonics. Yeah. So it's a natural harmonic on the 12th fret. You just put yep. your finger lightly uh, over where the the band is. Is it called that? Uh, over the over the actual fret, the, yep. the metal piece that is oh, yeah, the fret. The fret, yeah. fret between yeah. the 12th and yeah. 13th, if you would think like that in terms of... Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. But, uh, I, did, I didn't understand that in the beginning either, but the fret is actually the... 
the metal piece. That's yeah. uh, that's the fret. Well, oh, now yeah. I know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Twelfth. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's an amazing riff to play because it has this. Um, st- for, to start off, it has this series of pull-offs. Um, uh, on, on the uh, low on the neck, so it's really like, and then it comes the harmonic. Yeah, but it's a blues. But I think what's interesting, like uh, with this uh, with this riff and with this song, is that there's actually proper riffage going on. It's not just uh, you know like a, a blues, uh, you know traditional blues thing but it's more like in the i think i'm I'm reminded uh, weirdly enough about uh, to nick drake i mean it's more like uh, there's more uh, and ingenuity there's more um adventurousness like to to the the picking patterns here and then when the the picking comes i think that's also rather nice that uh let me play that sure Then I actually uh, it it just goes on. I have to I have to play the chorus riff also, and I'll sing a little bit in the background so you get the context. Woman, you got the Lord, you got the. Nice. Uh, there's just like uh, there's more riffs to this song, but I, I think I'll, I'll stay with the beginning and uh, uh, just incorporate that uh, that picking pattern also because it, it's rather sweet. More of a block riff. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was getting to. We have this uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, plucking riff that comes and uh, yeah, which you uh, should of course sing over. Maybe I'll I'll release a. Uh, a special recorded track of this uh, just because I feel like it uh, we'll see if that ends up in this episode or uh, somewhere on the internet so uh, dear listener uh, just uh, keep your hat on uh, so yeah but um, so Come and Go Blues it's uh, I mean it's, it's a blues song as well so it has uh, lyrics uh, to go with it it's about uh, uh, you know a girl uh that's uh, they don't know what to do with each other it's a it's a come and go touch and go you know they're they're together then they're apart uh, greg allman also was very famous in or mostly famous in the 80s for being married to chair for a few right. years uh, it's a I very uh, destructive relationship um so yeah he he didn't have a they didn't have a good time together unfortunately um and uh, I would say after uh, in the eighties uh, he was not doing much. Uh, he ca- he had a slight return uh, late eighties, nineties, and the, he continued to tour with uh, Allman Brothers, and I think they they had a really good band. So it was uh, not the case of uh, Leonard Skinner where they you know uh, cranked up their uh, amps and started sounding metal, but they they kept the. Uh, 
the bluesy and jammy side, which is a, an important part of uh, Allman Brothers' experience, that they're, you know, it's a jam, jam very, band. Very jam-like, yeah. And I, I really dig their sound. I think they could become my favorite Southern rock band. I just haven't really got to it yet. Yeah, you should, you should. Uh, I think this is a, it's a good song to start with, but uh, then you should really go back to the first album because there's something about Dwayne's uh, slide guitar that's, yeah, it, it's really cool. And it, together with the uh, uh, Hammond organ of his brother Greg uh, and the drummer Butch Trucks, which I think has the coolest <laughs> name amazing in rock. name. Bush trucks. That's great. Uh, Butch trucks. Uh, Butch trucks. He, also, his uh, another tip uh, might show up way later in in this uh, uh, podcast because I'm not uh, good enough to play it. But his uh, nephew Derek Trucks has uh, has become one of uh, the world's premier slide guitar players, and he has this band, uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band, that are they're playing and they're uh, as popular as. Allman brother ever was and they uh, play really you know like these really expensive gigs where you have to pay up towards like 100 euros to go see them so i'm like always reluctant but they they're in that price bracket you know this tier one band almost like elton john or something like they really like yeah too expensive but apparently it's great concerts and of course then you have the great venues with fantastic sounds but maybe i don't know we'll see one day maybe i guess at this point you have to get used to paying uh, around 100 euros for a show. Uh, if it's a ma major, major league kind of Did band. you ever pay that much? Uh, come again? Did you ever pay that much for uh, a concert? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, last concert with uh, Metallica was around 900, I think. And uh, also Ooh. the last one with Maiden was around 900. 900 Swedish kroner, which is... Yeah, yeah. which is 90, 90 euros. euros. Yeah. yeah, roughly. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's the, I've been to some expensive. expensive concerts, but normally I, I tend to go to small small gigs, like okay. a maximum maximum two hundred capacity type thing is what I enjoy most uh, as far as the experience or night out goes. I don't really like big arenas and that kind of thing, but um, mm. sometimes it's worth it. I think to kind of just uh, fork out those uh, one hundred euros to get a great show. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, apparently, uh, yeah, but the. You can imagine the Allman Brothers in their heyday being like amazing. It's just like guitar solo after guitar solo. And I, uh, we talked also last episode about making a, um, uh, a Jessica uh, cover to end that episode. And uh, maybe we'll use it in this one. I don't know what you think. Yeah, uh, well, may maybe you have heard it already. Uh, maybe it's yeah, maybe both. you have heard we, it. We, we, will mean, see. we don't know because we're recording this beforehand. So. It's the magic of recording beforehand. Uh, we, yeah. we still have the choice to make, but for you, this choice is in the past, which is exactly. yeah, you know, a mind Made already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. Well, uh, what I like to say is about this uh, open uh, detuning is that uh, when you, uh, when I, I would say, uh, when I uh, change the tuning of my guitar, I have really no way of knowing where I am or which chords i'm playing but uh with the open tuning it's also like supremely easy just to doodle around and it sounds good because you can always rely on that yeah open d or g or whatever you have you know. i you actually recall i recall from a few years back uh, an old just an old chat session in between us and you said that uh, i like playing in open tunings because i just play I don't really look at the, which fret I'm at, or I don't know which note I'm playing. I just play, and 
uh, I think that explains it quite well. Yeah, no, precisely. But I'm also, you know, I'm all, uh, I'm I'm really interested in learn actually learning these uh, songs in Open D tuning because they sound so great. They're so it's so beautiful. Uh, and also when when you don't really when you're like uh, a bit uh, you don't really know the song you can always like rely on uh, the open tuning to take care of you you know you can always go to like that for a safe uh, haven you can't really play it wrong I have the feeling at least it, it feels it's more of a, a way of playing it feels very natural to play in an open tuning so uh, dear listener if you haven't tried it yet please retune your guitar. I say it uh, now every week. <laughs> Either drop it or drop the D or retune the guitar. Why not? You could you could uh, benefit greatly. And uh, also try the the D A D A D E because you get that if you if you like that um, the way of uh, of the drop that you can do um, oh, yeah. uh, a fifth a power chord with just barring it. You get double that because oh. you get D A and then you get another octave of D A on top of it. So it's super easy to to compose in and you can well, really I think rely you on said, the strings. Uh, uh, you use this uh, tuning to compose for your metal band uh, uh, before, right? Or like an yeah, open tuning? I, I used the open C, uh, a C version of that and also the D version of that. But uh, at this point, none of that has been released actually. It's uh, okay. just been a standard and drop on everything oh. I released. Interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, it was uh, just short and sweet uh, talking about my love for Allman Brothers. Uh, they will come back for sure. But uh, I think bringing out this song is a bit, uh, you know, like it's a strange one. It's not really like the, what they're known for. Uh, but I think there's something that Greg does amazing by himself. So uh, please, uh, when you have listened, <laughs> finished listening to this episode, go to YouTube and search for Come and Go Blues uh, guitar uh, with Greg Allman. You're not yeah, you definitely should. It. And refresh my memory and the listeners' memory. Uh, which release uh, year and album was this on? This is on uh, Brothers and Sisters, uh, and uh, it all, it has such an amazing uh, cover. The the front cover. I, it maybe it's because I'm a little bit blurry because I have uh, a young son. But there's a a boy and a girl on the back and the front cover. Uh, I think they're they're kids of some in the band. And in the when you open the gatefold sleeve you have like the whole band with their whole family and friends uh like just for a family picture it's like yeah maybe 40 people and they all all have long hair <laughs> look great uh i like year? that I, I like mean, that and it makes me think of those you know relative uh, posing pictures you know all the relatives standing which feels like a quite southern thing somehow it's uh but it's a it's a really nice photo um yeah, it's uh, it's a great a great song and a great album, cool. Brothers and Sisters. Uh, I don't know which year it's from. It's from the seventies, at least. Uh, All right. Yeah, good enough. Okay. <laughs> cool. Nice. And uh, funnily enough, uh, you've uh, picked a riff that is not originally on guitar, and so have I. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Strange and fun. First time for both of us. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I think you might recognize it. It's a little bit fast and a little bit uh, sleepy today, so let's see if I can play it properly, but uh, go something like this.
Yeah, you know it? Yeah, it's uh, from the video game Mega Man for the Nintendo Entertainment System. I would venture a guess it's uh, Dr. Viley's stage, but I might be wrong. Yeah, you're right there. It's actually from Mega Man 2, but I guess you know that. And uh, the song is uh, Dr. Wily Stage 1. Yes. So it's the first stage of the, is it three or something, final boss stages yeah. In, yeah. in that game. After you've beaten up all the other <laughs> robot men, you uh, get to Dr. Wily's castle and this song plays. Uh, very, very cool, very uh, Iron Maiden-like, I think. Yeah. In, yeah. in a sense, and it's from 1988. 1988, I might add. 1988. So that's a good year yeah. for <laughs> Nintendo uh, MIDI music. It's uh, it's an amazing track, and I mean the soundtrack for this game and the Mega Man games are amazing. I mean, it's uh, no wonder he was called Rockman in Japan originally. Yeah, exactly. I wondered if you had picked up on that trivia, Rockman. <laughs> so obviously, it's gonna have to be a rocking soundtrack, right? And, can, uh, can you uh, can you play it once more? I thought I thought, thought it sounded great. All right, here we go. I have actually also tra- uh, transposed it. Uh, I think originally it's in B or E minor, but uh, yeah. on a guitar it makes more sense in A minor. I'll try it again. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, yeah, so for, for you who don't know uh, the Mega Man games, maybe we'll uh, do a, a quick uh, description of them. C- could, you, uh, could you do it? Yeah, I guess both, both you and me could, but yeah. it's um, <laughs> Capcom is the company behind it, Capcom Entertainment, and the game for the original uh, Nintendo Famicom. I think it was called Famicom, mm. right, in, in yes. Japan, like Family Computer and known to us Westerners as NES, or Nintendo Entertainment System. Exactly. And again, released in 88, it's a side-scrolling um, action game, I guess you could call yes. it. Like, um, Definitely. Similar to the likes of Super Mario, but with more weapons and uh, a little bit more futuristic and uh, metal, <laughs> I yeah. would say. I would say, like, at, at the time, the, the main... Uh, 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 the the takeaway from the game or like the cool thing was that you after you defeat each boss or robot master as they were called you get uh, their weapon so you get powerful more powerful but you, you also get a version of the weapon that they tried to uh, defeat you with uh, which was cool but i mean in in hindsight i think uh, the music really is the uh, the what what made it such a uh, long living franchise and like beloved also outside of uh, the gaming community. Yeah, I think it's really timeless tunes and uh, it's really become an iconic soundtrack. Uh, a few of those songs, not only from uh, the second game, but also from other games, there are some like really iconic sounds, uh, really iconic songs like um, Snake Man from number three, I think is really cool as well. Flash Man was my favorite when I was a kid, also from uh, from the second game. And uh, like you said about uh, you get the the boss's weapons and that adds a little bit of a tactical aspect to it because you get to choose in which order you play the main stages. So you might want to figure out which boss's weapon will be great on another boss and then in comes the, the elements. 
like fire, ice and so forth, then you might be able to figure out which one can beat which one. It's uh, it's metal, all right. Right, yeah, it is right. <laughs> all the gallop and everything, man. <laughs> that kind of uh, beat, and that's from number three, isn't it? The yeah, intro. The, it's the intro. It's, the opener, uh, wonderful. Yeah, very cool one. And uh, speaking of, uh, or now that we got a good example here of the the ship sound, the MIDI sound, and uh, I did read up a little bit on this before, and mm. uh, one of the things uh, that was <laughs> kind of fun and interesting is, according to the composers. All this music had to be painstakingly converted from notes to an MML machine. And okay. an MML What's machine that? is a music macro language machine. I haven't heard of it before, but I'm guessing it's quite primitive. Like, mm. uh, not really easy to put those songs into the game soundtrack. And I should also address the, the composer. The composer of this song is uh, Takashi Tateishi. Mm. And uh, alongside him, there's a woman named uh, Manami Matsumai who uh, she wrote only the opening title for Mega Man 2 and uh, co-wrote uh, another song or two on, on that soundtrack. It's uh, predominantly uh, Takashi Tateishi on, on the number two. I think uh, um, Manami Matsume wrote most of the first game, but then she was busy with uh, an arcade soundtrack at the time. Mm. And uh, I also read that uh, when uh, Mr. Tateishi came into the picture, he had a few songs ready. He hadn't done any game soundtracks before, and he had a few songs ready, but uh, Capcom deemed them too cute. So they, they rejected ah. those songs. And the first song that he actually got approved was this one, the, okay. in my riff. And uh, you could see why, right? I think it's yeah, easily the most uh, legendary of all the legendary Mega Man songs, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Wily Stage 1. So I'm sure that the Capcom guys were pretty much satisfied when he showed them the mock-up for this song. Yeah. It's interesting that they really went for this uh, rock sound. I mean, there, there is more, uh, and I, I wanted to ask you also what you think. Uh, how did they compose this? Did they first write it on guitar, or uh, yeah, how, what, how do you think they did it? Or do you know? I don't know. Uh, I don't have any sources on that. But in my imagination land, I'm seeing them <laughs> with like a. Roland keyboard or maybe a few Roland keyboards sitting and you know trying out ideas because at this time uh, normal recording uh, could be done very well in Japan it was just that uh, moving the songs over to uh, to the NES that was the painstaking process so I'm guessing they made mock-ups and demos with the uh, probably synthesizers and keyboards mm. but maybe guitars who knows maybe yeah. he was a guitarist now, the, yeah, the problem with uh, programming for, uh, the, I mean, primitive early systems like uh, NES, which at the time was uh, really powerful, uh, is that you can't, there's, a, a, there's not <laughs> unlimited memory. It's very actually very little memory, and music uh, shouldn't be what takes up most memory. That should also be, I mean, you have to share that budget, the... Uh, with uh, sure. with graphics and uh, gameplay and uh, and sound effects even I mean how many channels of uh, music does a NES have four or 
four, I think it's four, or yeah, something like that. And uh, they often have to syncopate the, the bass line because they can't play all at the same time. This mm. is just me guessing here. But yeah. I'm not guessing, it's like a qualified guess, but I'm, I remember something about how they had to move around the beats um, so that not all uh, ships would be, or oscillators would be playing at the same time. Yeah, and also speaking of the memory shortage, uh, when I'm looking at the track list here, it's 22 songs in in the Mega Man soundtrack, and most of them are under a minute. Yeah, so that probably comes to play as well. Yeah, but I, I think what what they did as well was that they use uh, well in these games they use uh, drums were just uh, the drum sounds were uh, distorted and uh, sped up versions of uh, sound effects. I mean, so it's really like reusing the. Uh, what you have on, on store so you can't bring in more you have to reuse what you have uh, which makes it really a budgetary issue more than a uh, <laughs> like as important as the musicality of the music it's also the like the budget that you have uh, so sure. that, that but that also lends in a way I guess I'm, I'm also guessing I don't know so much but I'm I'm interested interested to know more uh, that it led to the melodies being very because they were very short uh, snippets of music. They had to be memorable, they had to be catchy, and uh, well, they also had to be upbeat. So there, in that range, I mean, uh, like this kind of heavy metal lends, if, lends itself very good in MIDI or uh, in the bit music. Yeah, and we addressed last episode, right, how I've been able to uh, headbang to MIDI, and now it comes clear to me that maybe it's all because of Mega Man. Because yeah. that was way before any rock music for me, way before I was digging mm. into this soundtrack before. So for me, it was, you know, the reverse effect. I heard Iron Maiden and thought, this sounds like Mega Man. <laughs> like a good example is Deja Vu on uh, Somewhere in Time. It totally sounds like this. Uh-huh. It's two years before this, so I guess it could make sense. And uh, yeah, very cool music. And I think a lot of these uh, composers were also under um, under time limitations, so they had to compose fairly quickly. Yeah, and um, uh, that's why they lend a lot from popular music. Sometimes even steal it, like you addressed in um, um, in Doom, uh, the first-person shooter. They just stole metal riffs. Exactly. Whereas here, uh, these um, composers here have been a little bit more creative. I guess it's been the other way around. People have covered the song on guitar uh, quite a bit. I just have to mention the the, the composer of uh, the first Doom games. His name is Bobby Prince. I think that's a really cool name. Uh, Bobby Prince. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, you've been pulling yeah. out these names all day, right? Yeah. And all day and all last week as well. Just uh, awesome names. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's good to mention him. Yeah, we didn't mention him last uh, last time we we mentioned Doom, so that's good. Bobby Prince. There is a um, there is an, uh, there there is actually a fresh controversy uh, going on right right now that uh, there there is um, a recent uh, couple of games re, uh, like doom games uh, which were released uh, now I'm, I'm playing one at the moment uh, and it has really like super heavy soundtracks i mean it, it's it's not it's now they have the luxury of uh, not uh, of no uh, memory budget let's say so it's really like yeah, yeah you got all the the hard uh, guitars and the drums and the composer is named Mick Gordon and his music has become really popular it really fits perfectly to the uh, to the game but uh, what I wanted to say was that they release uh, the original soundtrack as a vinyl nowadays because that's popular that's of uh-huh, course you should cool. do that but the controversy lies in that uh, the the OST or UST release of uh, the do- new Doom game uh, was not mixed uh, in its entirety by the composer. So um, 
the fans have become really angry. And uh, Mick Gordon, then the composer, he went out to say that yeah, I'll probably never work with this company again or this franchise. Um, and uh, the lead uh, audio designer at id Software that makes uh, Doom got has gotten death threats and stuff for oh, sure. uh, uh, releasing a, an inferior product, according to some. So it's uh, like a a fresh controversy involving video game and video game music. So uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, we're not always living in the past. Gordon was his name was Mick Gordon. Mick Gordon, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've actually seen, I haven't played any of those games. I don't play much video games, actually. I played a lot until I was 12, and then mm. I somehow just lost uh, the interest. But um, uh, I've seen the, the this guy, Mick Gordon, uh, live um, playing those songs, and it was really fun to see. It was just him and a drummer, and uh, then a little bit of backtracks. Yep. Or maybe a drummer and a synth guy, or maybe yep. just a synth guy, I don't remember. Anyway, he was climb, walking around stage with a huge grin, looking <laughs> like kind of an office guy, just short yeah, hair and a black exactly. shirt. And uh, playing like an eight-string Ibanez guitar with like, yeah. super heavy chunky yeah. riffs. <laughs> it's, it's not far away from you know that uh, the <laughs> the Japanese office salaryman sitting with his uh, or her uh, Casio <laughs> synth or true, whatever. True. Yeah. Uh, I also uh, like to imagine having sure. having keytars in the eighties, sitting <laughs> with keytars and rocking oh, out. Yeah. Keytars could have music. been in there. Yeah. Right. In a right. cubicle. <laughs> anyway, that was cool. The soundtrack, uh, New Doom. I thought it was a little bit uh, gent inspired, however, and uh, that's yeah. not a genre we take overly kindly to. But in this case, <laughs> I liked it. Um, well. Uh, Interesting. Uh, it's. Uh, I mean, that we might see more of this. Uh, you know, the 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 inter. I mean, music. It's uh, it's everywhere, and especially in video games, is a, an important part to keep people engaged. And uh, also, uh, I know a lot of musicians, uh, like uh, musicians like Steve Vai, made a track for a Halo game years ago. Um, True. I'm sure there's uh, there are other uh, examples. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh Brian May from um, oh, th this is a deep cut. Uh, Brian May from Queen. He made the soundtrack to uh, uh, a game that came out to the Super Nintendo called Rise of the Robots, which uh, which was uh, hyped as this amazing game with amazing graphics, uh, but it turned out to be the shittiest game ever made, and the music was <laughs> especially uh, dissed. And uh, in one review, I remember it very clearly. Someone wrote that. Um, uh, Freddie Mercury is rolling around in his grave. Uh, yeah, <laughs> twisting and twisting and turning down there. Twisting and turning. Yeah, I haven't heard it. I don't. I'm not sure I want to hear it now. Now that you say this, but yeah, I was inspired to. I was inspired to pick out uh, a riff off of a game because we because of Doom. Yeah, when we talk yeah. about After All and uh, No Remorse uh, being mm. in the Doom soundtrack, original Doom soundtrack. Uh, back in I don't remember which episode that was. I think it was Light in Limelight in the Black. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a cool cool riff. After all, the dead. The first one that comes to mind, I think, for a lot of people, uh, when you when you're talking like classic uh, Nintendo soundtracks, uh, this this little tune must be one of the more famous ones, alongside the yeah. Super Mario Bros. theme and Zelda theme, of course. Yeah, I know that Koji Kondo, who uh, wrote uh, the, the earliest Nintendo music, all the all the Super Mario things, he, he worked on the Super Mario theme song for. 
I think uh, months. It's a really long time because it had to be perfect. They knew that the game was going to be an important one. To the, so the music had to be perfect. And arguably, it's a perfect song. I mean, we're, it is really cool. I can't yeah, play it's it. really cool. I, I don't know how to play it, but I think it's this kind of Lydian feel to it, similar mm-hmm. to uh, the Simpsons theme. Yeah. So you get, you get that kind of crazy Danny Elfman type sound in it. And mm-hmm. it just works so well. I mean, yeah, we don't even have to explain because everyone knows the super mario bros theme <laughs> and i think i think that uh, an important thing to mention is that uh, i mean while the composers in um for the earlier uh, nintendo games they were very inspired by like 70s fusion i would say you know there's a, a band called the weather report uh, there is an effect on one of the albums made with a guitar i think but it sounds exactly like when you pick up coins in super mario brothers oh yeah yeah, it'll sound like. Yeah. <laughs> no. Maybe yeah, there. Or a lighter. Like this. There, something like that. Yeah. Oh, anyway, Weather Report did it better. Yeah. <laughs> or if it was uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra, something like this. Um, uh. But uh, and but then afterwards, the, the, the video game music has been covered by numerous metal artists. And I mean, also on guitar, it really translates well. Uh, when, especially when you want to start to learn how to play the guitar, uh, you already, maybe you know more, uh, if you were a kid in the 90s, maybe you knew more video game songs than you, that you, than you knew rock songs. And those melodies are often very, you know, like, uh, they're catchy, but they're also, you know, more, maybe more logical and like, yeah, you know, yeah. like uh, stiff. So they're easier to play that well. Exactly, stiffer, less dynamic, because I didn't understand dynamics in the beginning. I didn't even know it existed. I thought you could just hit a note <laughs> or not hit a note. And <laughs> yeah. in that case, uh, NES is quite uh, useful. And I thought, actually, I came thinking about this, that uh, also they are quite advanced composers. You will get some like uh, modal shifts and stuff. Even in mm. this riff, there's a modal shift. So you start out, uh, I'm going to be in A minor now. It's another minor originally, but you start out with this kind of... Which is like a, a grip that would be used by someone like Randy Rhodes or something like that. Mm. Like uh, this uh, my minor and major triads there, um, galloping. And then uh, it's pure A minor, that part. But then yeah. when they go into this, that little lick, it's uh, in uh, the scale of E minor, which would be A Dorian. So you get okay. this Dorian vibe coming there. like. hear that it's a completely different vibe than a major minor if it would be played in the minor scale it would have been which sounds uh, shitty yeah, <laughs> sounds yeah, like yeah. absolute shit and then after they do that little trick they go right back into a major for the final part which is almost like a solo mm. uh, that part yeah. So it, it's good to get to know music, I guess, and you know, just um, find patterns. It's just very cleverly written, and I think I have this um, predisposed notion that uh, the Japanese guys are very musical. <laughs> <laughs> might be, yeah. might be. Uh, but I mean, there's also this. I, I feel that this, um, or I, I, I'm guessing a little bit now. But I mean, doing this. Uh, fast shifts between modes and uh, it, it invokes excitement you know it really adds to the excitement of the song that's already you know galloping but then you do this uh, switch uh, and uh, unexpected i mean it just it fits the medium very well to always keep the player on 
other toes. So especially if you don't know, uh, Mega Man is one of the hardest games also on the. Especially if you reach this stage, then you're in trouble. I mean, this is where the yeah. game really picks up, becomes really hard. Yeah, number number two was actually a little bit more playable. I remember I could finish it when I was a kid, whereas number three was super hard. It was so hard. Yeah. I remember when I was in uh, high school, we were doing a project, like a group project, me and my friends. Uh, we had to do it, but uh, we met every Wednesday but at our friend Svante's house, but we only played Mega Man 2. Uh, we didn't write anything until the last week when we wrote everything and we got <laughs> the highest grade. Not well-deserved, I would say. I, I, I regret it, uh, but I don't regret playing Mega Man all those afternoons. It's a very fond memory. Yeah, great game, great game. And uh, yeah, obviously there's not an, like uh, there's not a ton of trivia on this. Uh, there's no stories about the lead singer in a bar fight or uh, <laughs> you know whoever they dated or something. It's quite anonymous the whole thing, uh, which maybe adds a little bit to the lore in a sense. Mm. You know, it's it's almost like um, secret composers uh, in all these old Capcom games and so forth. Yeah. Uh, some of them of the video game composers have gone to become famous and touring yeah. musicians like. Uh, Nobuo Matsu, who made all the um, Final Fantasy stuff, he's touring exactly. with. Uh, he calls his uh, group the Black Mages, I think, <laughs> and he and he's doing the whole John Lord worship thing, like he's got his uh, Hammond organ and he's, you know <laughs> soloing the shit out of it and uh, being a rock star and uh, yeah, that's cool too. But I like the, um, the the secret vibe of a lot of these old compositions. In some games, they're not even credited uh, by name, just by nickname. No, and I mean the the. The rest of the the people who made uh, the games, I think Nintendo was early. Uh, if you play old, uh, if you play Super Mario World, for instance, then you have a proper end credits. I mean, that was one of the first time that you had it. You uh, it didn't exist uh, as far as I know in the in the previous uh, Mario games. But in Super Mario World, you got to see everyone who was involved in the product, which is uh, I think mean, a yeah. step up from this uh, anonymous uh, company hard worker. Um, but yeah, but I exactly. agree that it's this mysterious uh, aspect of this music is uh, very exciting as well. Yeah, I think I was moved to tears by that outro, that those ending credits in uh, Super Mario World. Actually, uh, it, yeah. it happened a few times. You put a lot of effort into playing. Maybe it. that game. Maybe also Mega Man Two. I'm not sure now. Uh, surely Yoshi's uh, Story or Island, uh, one of those games. Uh, also, <laughs> I was, I was uh, crying at the end. Or Star Fox. Star Fox 64, Lilat Wars. <laughs> yeah. You're becoming more like your father. <laughs> Do a barrel roll. I think we have to start uh, uh, another podcast to talk about this as well. It's not, not there uh, may be entirely some that. I haven't checked it out, but yeah. Uh, anyway, fun to dip into the, the world of riffs within ship music, within video game music. Uh, yeah. I like it. And there are also, uh, to mention quickly, there are also uh, quite a few remixes the other way around that... Um, um, fans have gone and picked up uh, metal songs like Ride the Lightning by Metallica or something like that and turned it into ship music and it's a nice curiosity yeah I noticed that because it uh, works really Flames well. released an 8-bit version of their latest album yeah they did I tried and listened to it but uh, uh, it didn't work it was work. terrible <laughs> it didn't I, work I, for me I listened to the, nor the regular album as well and uh, I realized why I don't listen to them yeah, yeah. yeah. sorry yeah, Flames let's, let's um, leave it at that We'll, we'll, we're looking forward to having you on our show talking about your old albums. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Jester Race. That's actually quite a super NES feeling of that album. Mm. The lead tone is very digital sounding and the, 
the forward cover, the front cover looks like a, a video game. Mm. All right, so I think yeah. uh, short and sweet, right? Uh, we've covered uh, two very nice riffs, uh, none of them from the guitar originally, and uh, with some um, very, very, very different origins. So you got uh, <laughs> for sure uh, the, the the south of the, of the states, obviously, and the then, blues, uh, Japan. Yeah. So you got yeah. something that that really uh, it's really like uh, you know uh, groovy and something that's very stiff, but still you feel there is a groove. Uh, in between uh, the chip music notes, I think it's still there. So uh, yeah, yeah, that was nice to talk to. You. I was very surprised, but uh, happily surprised, I must say. So, dear listener, uh, thank you so much for joining us this week, and uh, we look forward to talk more about riffs uh, next week. Yes, and as always, the only little plug is that please, uh, if you can, go into Apple Podcast, give us a five-star review, helps more people find the show, and uh, that's uh, really all we ask for you at this time. So um, have a good week, and see you again next week with more riffs. Uh, who's going to play us out? Uh, I can uh, play us... Uh... Mm.